The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. It was a little news item because right at the time of the elections, as you know, it was a big news item. There was Kia and Hyundai actually announced that the they misstated all the mileage on their cars. The the uh, look at the article. There's an article here. On the and it said one mile out of per gallon. Oh, that's what it It's a big difference. Depends, right. So they, many of their cars they claimed were getting 40 miles per gallon and only getting, they claim 37. Other other people are claiming it's much lower. Um, so many of their cars, um, almost all their cars have gone down at least 3% in their gas, gas mileage um, of what they get per gallon. Um, so it's, it's cars that they've sold over the last, um, since I think 2009. So we're talking about all, almost a million vehicles that they sold with uh, the, war, the wrong statement of how much gas went off. Okay. So as you see here, there's an article in the New York Times. So basically they overstated all their gas mileage, and what they're doing is to rectify it. There. So it was the EPA who discovered it. Um, the EPA did not find them, but they, they just made them put new stickers on all their cars. And what uh, Kia is doing voluntarily is they're actually they're sending out uh, debit cards or credit cards, um, prepaid cards, debit cards. Wasn't there a law firm that filed a class action in this case? Not yet. Not that I'm aware. I Maybe you want to take the case, Aaron. Yeah, so not so voluntarily. <laughs> no, so originally... It was a voluntary disclosure. It's preemptive. Yeah, so, yeah, so basically they're, what they're doing is they're sending through all their customers, anyone who owns a Kia or a Hyundai, they'll send them to the same manufacturer, by the same parent company, they'll send them a debit card, or any for the difference, they have to send them in their miles on the odometer. Okay, picture of their odometer. They send them a debit card, giving them paying them for the gas difference between the estimated between the mileage they claim they, they uh, originally stated and the gas mileage and what they actually got. So they said the average customer is going to get around 88 bucks back, which people are complaining is not enough. There's, there's really make a difference. Look at this. What about the light? Need more chairs? We need another chair. Yeah, okay. We got one here. Hello, Ed. Mm. Take it out. Take it out. What are you saying? Yeah. 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 So there's around a 3% difference in, uh, in what they stated. That's what Kia is claiming. A lot of customers are claiming there's a much bigger difference, but 3% lower mileage than they actually are getting. Whoever buys a car and thinks that that's true, what that they tell you that their mileage is. So the thing is like this. If you read the article here, Kia... Kia actually um, is uh, one of the reasons that why would anyone else buy a Kia if not for the low mileage? Okay, if you're buying a Kia, the purpose is the Kia claims they're one of the only manufacturers who claim they get 40 miles per gallon. Meanwhile, it's totally false. They, they're not, you can't get 40 miles per gallon. That was the magic number why they did it. Right, exactly. 100%. You get food here. Thank you. Yeah, so yeah, but but this is a clear they claim it was a if you read the article here from the New York Times, say it was an error in testing. Um, intentional? No, unintentional. Okay. So that's that's what they claim. They claim. But that's who claimed? That's what Kia claimed. Oh Kia claimed. Kia and Hundy. Okay, um, they say procedural errors? Procedural errors, yeah. 
here. They say, Handan um, Ki apologized to customers for what they call procedural errors in testing that resulted in incorrect mileage stickers on some of their most popular maps, like the Hyundai Elantra and Ria Kia Ria. Okay, so, uh, so the question is, so, so again, that's what they're claiming. Once, you, Obviously, once you sign on and accept the card, then obviously I'm assuming you can't file, you can't be part of any future class action lawsuit. Um, but uh, so they, they're saying an average, um, your average customer will get will get a refund of about 88 bucks. So now, what we're going to show you is according to the Torah, this um, according to Jewish law, um, every customer technically would have a right to return the vehicle and to nullify the sale. The sale would be null and void according to according to halacha. Okay, so. So, um, if you look here, does everyone have, everyone have a copy of this? You don't know your back. Yeah, that's the same one, you just don't have enough copy. Ed, here's a copy for you. Well, you, can you do, can you multitask? Can you multitask? Can you eat and, can you sure. do that? Okay. As long as I sit here and get my hour. <laughs> okay. Okay, so this, so... In Western law, we, there's a concept called caveat emptor, which means that everything is let the buyer beware. That means the, the liability is on the buyer. And if the buyer buys something, you didn't do the research on the, on the product. Okay, so all, all same sales are presumed to be free of defects. Okay, unless you're dealing with real estate, might have some different laws in real estate, have an obligation to disclose any defects in the, in the, in the real estate. Well, we'll talk, actually, only in residential real estate, what do you understand? you have any real estate lawyers? Well, we too? also have, um, you know, the it's called the Unprofessional Business Act. We can soon get up to triple damages. Triple, deceptive trade, hmm? deceptive trade practice act. Oh, deceptive yeah, but that's only if, if they were aware, as we'll see, if they were aware of the defect when they sold it. Okay, but if they were not aware of it, so as we'll see, that then, then that's not going to help. Uh -huh. So basically, in, in Western law, the concept is, right, caveat emptor, which means that. Uh, that the buyer has to be aware of any defects in an item he's buying. In Jewish law, it's categorically rejected, and and uh, the halachas in Jewish law is a concept known as mekach tot. Okay, mekach means a sale, tot means mistake, mistaken sale. Okay, tot is a mistake. Okay, so mekach tot means that uh, any time you buy something, whatever the product is, it's real estate, whether it's uh, any any type of item, um, you you as the purchaser. Um, if if you would not have bought that had you known, had you been aware of this specific defect in the item at the time of the sale, then the sale is retroactively voided. Okay? It's a mistaken sale and, and it's nullified retroactively. Okay, so now in this case, in this case is very clear. Um, and, and before we get to the Kia case, but I'm saying so in general, the seller needs to disclose any defect in the sale. If there's something that he did not disclose, even if he even if the seller was not aware of it at the time of the sale. He stole, um, he stole, if there's a real defect in the item, as we'll see, we'll discuss what type of defect, so then the sale is retroactively null and void, okay, in Jewish law. So Does that have to be a mistake on one part or, or a mutual mistake? No, I'm saying is even if there's, it wasn't a mistake, he's just, just he, even if the seller was not aware of it at the time, okay, let's say the guy was flipping houses, he bought a house, he didn't know it had this defect, and he sells it to, to, a third, to, a, to the next party, to a third party. Okay, he, the seller was not aware of the defect at the time of the sale. And later on, the defect is, becomes known. So the sale can be, if, if the seller, the buyer wants to nullify the sale, he has the right to return 
return the house, even though the seller, again, didn't, wasn't aware of the defect. Even the any kind of defect? Well, we'll talk about we'll talk about what you know is what the exceptions are. But in general, if it's a serious defect, um, that's that's the that's the Jewish law. So yeah, but if the seller is selling, let's say something used, you know, it, it, it as is sale. So we'll talk about as is in a second. Okay. As is. Um, so uh, so basically, in general, that's the the disclosure is is the on the part is the responsibility of the seller. Okay, the onus is always on the seller to disclose any defect in the item. Um, no matter what, as we'll see. So when it comes to Kia, what I'm saying is implying it, implying it to the Kia case. So what they're doing is even offering back um, money to rectify, just to pay for their the difference in the gas mileages. That that wouldn't work because since at the time of the sale, assuming I'm as a customer, I was buying that car because of the low mileage. Let's say I'm an eco-friendly uh, guy, or I'm just cheap. Either way. Okay, so now I was buying that car, the Kia, only because it got 40 miles per gallon. That's the only reason I was buying that car. So the fact that they, as you know, that they're just giving me um, compensation, which whether it's enough or not, we'll talk, we'll say um, that's that's irrelevant. Um, that doesn't suffice. By the way, the compensation, besides the paying for the gas, they are giving them a 15% inconvenience bonus. 15% okay. what? Of the, the gas, of the gas. Okay. So they're giving them a certain, little extra. to a certain date and time on how much they have in mileage? It's not going forward some calculation? No, it is. It is going forward for the rest of the life of the vehicle. They'll be giving you a debit card for the rest of the life of the vehicle. Yeah, they say you refresh it each year by showing your odometer. At least that's what it says. Oh, it's a method to come make you do more to get something. Okay. Right. So it's the rest of the life of the vehicle. Are they asking for a release when you send this in? Have you accepted? Are you releasing them? I'm assuming. I didn't see it. Yeah, probably. Probably. I can't imagine. Some language that says if you use this debit card, you release us from liability concept? Under Hamacha, if you bought the car for a different reason other than gas mileage, maybe you bought it because you thought it was the safest car on the road. It's an incidental finding about the... Well, it's an incidental finding about the gas mileage was told to you incorrectly. Uh, where does halakha come down on, on right, that? Right, so, so, sorry. So it's up to you, meaning, again, it's, it's irrelevant what the defect is, just because, let's say this defect doesn't happen yeah, to bother you. It's, it's up to you, it's your prerogative. If you want to keep it, that's not, not a problem. But if you, you have a right to nullify the sale, if it, again, if it's a serious defect. In this case, I, I think it would be classified as a pretty serious defect. The difference between, you know, even a three percent, even if it's like they're claiming, which is only a three percent difference, which other independent companies are saying there's actually a bigger margin of error here, bigger than three percent. Um, so even a three percent difference in gas mileage is a big difference, especially if you're if you're someone who's uh, okay. So in your case, you're saying you don't really care about the, the environment, let's say, or the well, you, you, uh, your motive at the time you bought the car. It's unrelated to the mileage. It was and you couldn't care less about the gas mileage. Well, you, you wanted it. Right. But so, you, know, so you, you bought it because you thought it was a safe car and, and low repairs and spacious. Right. Spacious and comfortable. And had good screens. And, right. But so and, and, and now, the, now you find out that, oh, the mileage isn't as good as, I, as they said it was. But that, isn't, that wasn't your motivation. I mean, basically... You, what you said a couple minutes ago was if you bought the car based right, on so, the so I don't think you yeah so I hear your question I don't think your motivation is relevant meaning if it's a serious defect and we'll discuss what type of defects fit into this category of serious if it's something that you can claim that had you known at the time you would not have bought the car 
um, then that's sufficient to, to avoid the sale. So if what someone were to buy, let's say, a Corvette, mm -hmm. and they buy it for both the aesthetics and primarily for speed, <clears throat> I don't think most VET purchasers are going to be concerned with the 3% variance in the mileage. So that's true. So maybe it wouldn't be a serious. But those are the ones you don't see misstated. The the people who are who no, are. No, no, no. But but the whole the entire thing. Any time you apply any kind of scientific test, statistically, to any kind of, of <coughs> mechanical engineering process. In this case, it's gas versus mileage in, a, in any given vehicle. You have the incline of the road. You got the atmosphere, the mm -hmm. pressure, the vapor rate. I mean, you got eight trillion variables. So it's going to be a a a case. And quoting George Bush, who I think is truly a scholar, you know, it's going to be voodoo economics. It's going to be voodoo on any statistic that you that you put out there for consumption, so. Well, he's just using that as an example. Right. Yeah, no, but it has a valid exactly. point, meaning, but, you know, who knows what meaning it could be on the Corvette because we're talking about a totally different price bracket than the Kia. And it's a difference, so when, you're right, on a Corvette, 3% difference, maybe is not a serious enough of a defect, maybe. But, it, you know, it's, it could be. I don't, well, I don't know smaller, how to ascertain it. There are smaller cars that are built for speed. You know, you got the, you got a. Uh, I can't think of any offhand, but there's some smaller cars, a Mazda Miata, yeah. for instance. S2000 well, but again, what I think is what I what I would say, and I don't know for sure, but I would say is, anytime there was something misstated, so there was no disclosure, that in itself is a problem. Um, there's, there's two issues. Besides the mechartosis, which avoids the sale, there's something we discussed in the past, which is called Geneva Dat. That means you 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 can't steal someone's mind, so to speak. You know, if you misstate something, you say, state this has a, you know, some type of gadget which it doesn't, or, right? So in the, in the case where it's clearly stating on the sticker, on the window sticker, 40 miles per gallon, whatever it is, so that's, that, in essence, can void the sale because there was no disclosure. Okay, so even just because, let's say, a majority of VET, like you're saying, of Corvette owners couldn't care less about the 3% mileage difference, I'm not sure that would make a difference. The fact is, this has... This is not the product you pretended to sell. You sell the product with this sticker in the window that says X, and now it's, it's Y. Okay, so that in itself, I think, avoids the sale. So the, the, the rule is it has to be a serious defect? Yeah, so we'll get to the defect in a second. So the materiality comes into play. What do you mean? Explain that. Well, the, 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 the misrepresentation or the defect has to be material to the transaction at hand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure, see, because the there, there's two things. There's a misrepresentation and right. there's a defect. Right, but... but so a defect will avoid the sale automatically. A misrepresentation is a misrepresentation whether the person cares, whether the buyer cares about it. So, so what you're okay, saying is, if it's a misrepresentation, it's a misrepresentation, it's a misrepresentation, period, regardless of whether it's material, I, I For example, so, yeah. in, his, in his scenario, understanding or overstating gas mileage efficiency is not going to be as material a misrepresentation to somebody buying a Corvette as it would to be someone, um, whatever this is, Hyundai, or it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be as material. You're in a different. It's an inducement. Material is right, but, but you have the same thing with the mileage. You have three percent on a Corvette. You got three percent on a Hyundai. How about three percent on a Cessna 150 airplane? That's big. That's that's one percent yeah, on an airplane is. Right. 
Right. Uh, but, you know, Rabbi is using the word serious in, instead of material. All oh, right, and that's what I'm trying to figure so, out. Yeah, so, wow. so I don't know the legal we'll language. We're grabbing CLE hours, we're going to use material. At okay, least so, so let's get to the type of defects and maybe we'll figure out what we get there. But, but the, what's important, you, Greg, your point is important because there's two different violations here. When you, you know, it's meaning a defect is irre irrelevant to misrepresentation. No, it's meaning assuming, let's say, Kiva, we believe them and they didn't, they were not aware and it was a mistake. So there was no misrepresentation. It was just, there's, there's a defect, meaning from maybe what the customer wants. Okay, but there wasn't mis, well, well I guess. Hold on, hold on, hold on. There wasn't intentional misrepresentation. Hold on, it's a defect. I didn't get the strict liability. I don't think it's a defect. But how do you know, how do you know that they weren't aware of this? They're claiming they weren't. Well, I don't understand right. what they're claiming. Okay, no, so, so you're right. Even if they were, what I'm saying is, it's irrelevant. There's two different issues here. One is the defect in the item being sold. Okay, that's irrelevant to representation, whether they knew, they didn't know, intentional, unintentional. Okay, if it's the item has a defect, the buyer was not aware of, then the sales null and void, retroactively, automatically. Okay, now there's another question, which is misrepresentation. That knows, which that doesn't even have to, not even related to defect necessarily. Okay, so that where that misrepresentation, um, what I'm saying is a defect might be relative to material. Okay, because we need to define what's a serious defect. Like you're saying, what's considered a material defect and how much is how much wiggle room is there in, in you know if it has misstated mileage or right but misrepresentation is going to be misrepresentation no matter what okay so what, that's what that's irrelevant like to the knew, buyer if they knew if they intentionally if they knew that it was just 39 and they said it was yes yeah, so that's clear that's misrepresentation, misrepresentation. You're right okay. and that's a different issue which i don't know if that would nullify the sale misrepresentation itself you might have i think it would but i'm not 100 percent sure because we're focusing on the defect. You're talking Jewish law, American law? Jewish law. I'm Jewish talking law. Jewish law. So we're not talking about misrepresentations here. I'm trying to make sure. I'm trying to make the distinction. Yeah. Jewish law, American law. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, we, we need some, I mean, it's, it's, it some like lawyers that help us out. It sounds like what you're saying is under the Halakha uh, law, it's, it's like a strict liability. If there's any flaw or deficiency in the That wasn't the product, disclosed mm -hmm. well, prior to the sale. It wasn't disclosed or known. Yes. Because it exactly. could have been sold and somebody might not know yes, that it was a right. without, without regard to materiality. Um, oh God, it has to be significant. Well, we'll get so let's, so let's let's move let's get to the type okay. of defects, and I think that might help us play. So first of all, um, so so uh, so so look at the exceptions. Number four. Okay, we're gonna skip down to exceptions. One is if it's an obvious obvious defect. So let's say you're selling a used car, and there's an obvious dent in the car. You don't have to disclose it. That's very, you know, it's meaning the assumption is the buyer sees, you know, there's a dent in the car, so that's not something you need to formally disclose. It's something, an obvious defect in the item, okay? Um, another thing is, B would be a, something that's not a defect of any significance. Like we're saying, it it's, uh, has a hairline scratch, okay? There's some, something which really doesn't make a difference, okay? Doesn't make a difference in the item, and it's so, so... Who, who determines what's... That's why you need a good attorney. That's why you need a good attorney. Or a good Okay, so that's what I'm saying. So an example I gave was, when you're buying a silver cup, there's a hairline scratch, but it's on the bottom of the cup. So it's irrelevant, right? Okay, you're buying a kiddish cup, and there's a hairline scratch. So it's irrelevant. No one's going to care about the scratch on the bottom. Or hairline scratch. Okay, so unless some people do. To the end, people will see it. Take a sip, they won't see it. So, yeah. Is there a difference between uh, a business selling something to an individual and an individual selling something to a business? 
like if I'm selling them no. my, my so, used car and, and buying a new one, uh, and I don't tell them trade. about, yeah, trade, and I don't tell them about a collision or a brake that's, job. That's fraud. That's, that's misrepresentation. That's interesting that's what you just said, because in American law, there's a different standard. Uh, I don't do as much civil law as, as Greg does, but it, there's a different standard from business to business as, as opposed to business to consumer. Well, How about from consumer to business? If it's it's yeah. who's held to what standard. Yeah. Customary business practice. You know, so if, it's a, if a used car yeah. dealer buy, is buying a car from a, uh, a a wholesale car from a from a retailer, and he's a he's a uh, used car salesman, it's much, very much different than if Rabbi Grossman goes and buys that car from either one of the parties. Right. The so I'll tell you. So yeah. technically, there's no difference. The only difference is going to be that uh, that meaning there's something there's certain assumed. Um, you know what I call there. It's called, in Hebrew. It's called minagamakom. It means it's, if it's assumed. Let's say when you let's say in real estate, I'm buying a building. Obviously, it's assumed there's going to be wear and tear on the building. That's it's assumed in the sale. I don't need to disclose the standard problems in in when I'm selling some real estate. If it's something again, which is a major defect, there's major plumbing problem in, in the building, and obviously I have to disclose that. But the standard, you know, that this that uh, this bulb is broken, the ceiling has a crack in it, you don't have to disclose. Okay, because that's the norm in the industry. Norm in the industry, you sell a, you sell a real estate. There's going to be defects in the building, standard defects, normal wear and tear defects. Okay, so the, so that's where it might play a role. The difference between commercial say, and, and and retail sale would be again, it's, it's not a technically there is no difference, but there's, there might be a norm in the industry. If you're buying uh, 500 car, cars off a lot as a wholesaler or for an auction, so there might be it's understood. There's certain things that are not disclosed. They don't tell you about every little you know thing that's broken, okay, as opposed to if I'm coming into the shop and I'm buying it as an individual, so that's where it might play a role, but technically there is no difference, just if it's this norm in the industry, then then that might be accepted and you don't have to disclose those defects. What are you say? Nothing to that. Okay, okay, so, uh, so again, so, so, uh, the exceptions are we're saying obvious obvious things like we're saying, or or if it's not a, de a defect of any significance. And you're right, that might make a difference between who the buyers. That's where it might play a role. Okay, but the point is, many times the prerogative is going to be on the buyer. Um, does he want to nullify the sale? Because technically, like we're saying, the reason why he's a, he has the ability to nullify is because he can claim, if I would have known this at the time of the sale, I wouldn't have bought it. So therefore, it has to be something that's the norm. That we can assume the average consumer, if they would have known this at the time of the sale, they might not have bought that car. So if you're saying, let's say we take a poll and 99% of Corvette buyers don't care about mileage, so you're right, maybe, then it wouldn't be such an issue. It wouldn't be considered a defect in a Corvette. That's where it might play a role, but it's, it's hard to define it. Okay, so type of defects, by the way, include every, everything in number five, from mechanical defects, mm -hmm. prohibitions. That means it's, uh, the Talmud talks about, let's say, um, let's say I sold you meat, which is not kosher. You assumed it was kosher. So there's nothing defective about the meat. But meat, essentially, just now I can't eat it because I keep kosher. Okay, so it's, it's a prohibitional defect. Now, there's a prohibition to eat this meat. That's enough of a defect. That's considered also a defect that would nullify the sale. Okay, for whatever reason, I can't eat it. Um, so I have a question on that one. So uh, let's say that perhaps the hex there was a hexure on something, but the hexer has now been nullified, but you don't know that it's been nullified. Sorry, so that would be a defect. Or but even, let's say, allergens. Let's say you bought something, they didn't write the allergens on it. You're, you're 
lactose intolerant, and it didn't say lactose intolerant, it didn't say dairy on it, and now you buy it, so according to Jewish law, that, that would be obviously a major defect. For, for you as the consumer, it wasn't disclosed, you, the sale could be nullified retroactively, is so what we're saying. So you're lumping, from halacha standpoint, information into a defect. No. It's an informational in, defect. Informational, yeah. which causes the, the item to be defective because I can't use it. Because I can't use it. Well, generally, we, we consider a material defect to be something that makes it not fit for that purpose. Cle clearly, it's much broader here in Allah. We're clearly saying that the, this, this concept is much broader, but we're saying that a defect means in any which way you can't use it. So if it's because of spiritual reasons you can't use it. If you can use it 90, I'm basically you're, you're talking about one mile per hour difference in mileage, so you can use it 95% of what it was intended for. Again, but if I would have known at the time of sale that it doesn't get 40 miles, the only reason I'm buying Kina, maybe, no. maybe, <laughs> okay, is because it's getting 40 miles per hour. I mean, that's stretch. sufficient. No, it's not a stretch, because again, Hyundai Kia, meaning... If a person can make that claim, then they have a right to nullify the sale. That's the point. What, what about, you're talking about the, the uh, allergic deal. What about, I mean, I'm assuming there are a lot of people who have allergies, I mean, lactose intolerant, I mean, being okay. right, but what about somebody who uh, is allergic to some strange, like, coriander? You know, so, I mean, and somebody buys it and they're allergic. <laughs> Is that considered? No, so again, that's their, I assume. To that, that one person, because the other nine. Right, nine, no, so the, the, of course we're talking about what's norm, what, again, what the norm in society is would be defective. We can't, every person, we can't say, well, I have a personal defect, you know, I can't, you know, I don't like the color red, I'm allergic to the color red, you know, so I'm like, you know, it doesn't work like that. it wasn't disclosed that there was coriander in it, and just like it wasn't disclosed that there was a lactose. Right, uh, so I, I believe, this is what I would say, I didn't see this case, that was my own example. I'm, I'm just wondering what the... Yeah, so I, I don't know where the curve, I mean, there might be a gray area. What I would venture to say is, if this is a normal, viewed as a defect in society, normal defect, and that's where it would be applicable. But you can't come up with your own thing, so for me to be because... Uh, I'm allergic to, and, to red or orange, real. And, and I realize your audience here are all lawyers and we're all picky and we're all paying the rears. <laughs> well, well pretty much. Okay, some of y'all are innocent, okay. Normal, <laughs> but the remainder of us are, are damned and gonna Until you get into trouble, then but, you need I mean, you're, this is, in part, a legal discourse. Yes. And then, I, I suppose, superimposed on it, we're really talking ethics over and beyond having nothing to do with law, because a lot of times they're mutually exclusive. So, ethically, what you're saying is that if, if something basically has a defect, you know, whether it's something that's present in it or something that's absent from it, that ethically it's a moral obligation on the person who it. sold it to take it back. Well, that, well if, again, it's the prerogative of the, of the bar. The moral obligation is to disclose the defect initially. Well, if so you didn't disclose it... But I'm saying... If, Ethically, if the seller doesn't know, right. So if he did not disclose it, either because he didn't know or he did know intentionally, didn't disclose it. What we're saying is the buyer has the right to nullify. It to, it's, his, it's his choice. It's the buyer's choice. Buyer's if he wants to keep it, if he wants to, if he's wants to keep the product. It's fine. Obviously, it's fine. But if he chooses to return it, he has the right to return it. Yeah, that's only you're leaping into a whole different realm if you talk about ethics. Mm. 
Well, no, but I'm saying we're talking about legally. No, but we're lawyers, and we don't necessarily deal with ethics. I mean, seriously. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Oh no, no, no! I mean, I can. That's what you One second. We're not getting ethics for this class. There's no ethics there. So, if we don't have to discuss that, save the ethics. Not today. Okay, no, so I'm, so I'm not sure you, you know, you're asking ethically or legally. So far, we've only been discussing legally, and, and usually in Jewish law, just to get it straight, legal and ethical is the same thing. Okay. So there's no difference. It's not like American law where you have. So then why are we getting legal? ethics credit for this? Nah, are we? I don't think we are. Don't bring that up. <laughs> of course, that's unethical. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, so again, prohibitions, another another aspect would be size. Um, meaning, obviously, if the size, if the uh, you know, he thought it was this amount of feet, and and it's not. That's a defect, clearly, that would nullify the sale. Title, for example, is another example of something where there's no defect in the item. Let's say I buy a car from someone, or or a car dealer, and then I find out there's no title to the car. Okay, like, you know, that, that's happened to me. Uh, okay, that's why I put it down. Okay, so you find out the guy says afterwards, I can't find my title. So you have to spend like three months trying to, you know, get the three owners to go who has a copy of the title have them sign it over with this, right? So that is also a defect. To own a car, to own any item without a title is going to be a problem. So that's, an, even though, again, there's no material defect in the item itself, but that's considered enough of a defect to nullify the sale. Okay, that would nullify the sale. Yeah. Um, this is another example that, that many of us deal with is software. So if you buy, you're buying software and you assume that uh, you could use it on any of your computers and then you find out that actually the software is only limited, um, you know, to an educational institution. Have this, have, have had this case also. Okay, so you buy software and then you realize you can't put it on your home computer. It has to be put only on an edu- you know, an institutional soft, only for institutional computer. Okay, so you, and you, that wasn't disclosed at the time of sale. So again, there's no inherent defect in the item. It would work fine on your home computer. Okay, but now you're stuck. You can't put it on, assuming you're ethical. Okay. Where is this Jewish law implemented, other than New York City? <laughs> This is uh, right here, David Love. Never saw his card. No, so well, again, someone who's, who's observant, who observes the Torah, so they're going to, meaning if I'm doing a sale with you, so I'm going to keep these laws. Okay? But As an observant Jew. Like in Israel, Hasidic. Well, there is. Israel, the state of Israel, they have a court, their own court system, um, which is a secular court system. They also have a rabbinic court system. So, in other meaning if you have an issue, let's say a tort issue, you such as this. Yeah, it's called it's the Rabbanut in Israel. It's known as a Betin, where you can you have a choice in Israel. You can go to a rabbinic court or to a secular court for a, for tort law. Okay, so it's up. To, it's your prerogative. Here too, by the way, even in Houston, if you decide, let's say you have, and you have a dispute, okay, and I we can agree to go to a Betin and and sort of like arbitration or um, agreed arbitration. Keep records of these cases. That yeah, you, you yeah. Actually, in Israel, the Rabbanut has thousands of cases. Actually, there's a case. Discuss in a second with uh, relevant to parable um, a case in Israel that happened. This the guy sold a, sold a lottery, a winning lottery ticket. Really we'll the litigation with the rabbis is just Jew on Jew. The Gentiles not going to come to. Uh, so it's his prerogative. I mean, he can choose if he agrees. It's, it's like a greed arbitration. You know, what's it called? You bought a car in Israel. When you sign off. If you were an Arab and you bought a car from a Jew, <laughs> and you had more rights under the Jewish law, 
you might say let's go to the big yeah, end. Well, I, I don't think that even if you agree to go to a bend in, that that precludes you going to the to the circuit. No, it does. It will, you, when you go to the bend in, you sort of it's what's it called? Uh, media arbitration. Binding. Binding. binding arbitration. So when you go to bend in, it's sort of it's the same. They'll make you sign something which, that this is considered binding arbitration, and you agree to accept the ruling of the mm -hmm. bend. That's really what it is, as far as the American um, legal system treats it as binding arbitration. If this is, you know, that's really what it is, in essence. If you do an arbitration, I mean, I do, I'm involved in some international stuff. I mean, you can pick your form, your law, you pick arbitrators. If you want to pick Sharia, if you want to pick Best Den, you can, you can pick whatever you want, and the parties uh, have to abide by it. The, the major difficulty is that at the time that the arbitration clauses are drafted at the onset of the commercial transaction, most people don't really anticipate there being any problems, so they just put that in as boilerplate, and then what usually happens at the, at the back end is it's unbelievably badly drafted. And yeah, terribly, once you have to start reading it, it's too late. Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, and then the parties like don't have to agree to what they agreed yeah, to. They thought at the front end. I don't want to be insulted. I don't want to be insulted. I just had enough. So, so as far as no, just to answer your question again, um, is is just meaning as an observant Jew, if someone is observes the Torah laws, so technically they're bound by these laws, irrelevant to what society. Listen, obviously, if you're having a dispute with uh, with Kia, Kia is not going to abide by these laws. But the point is, let's say me and you are having a dispute, and we both and, and we both are Torah observant. So, so this is the laws that we use. This is the laws that we decide who's right in the transaction. Can I nullify the sale? I bought a car for you, and you didn't tell me that uh, the back seat was missing. So, so but wait, that would be that would be an obvious defect. Yes. Obvious. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That'd be pretty obvious. Okay. So, so these are the type of defects now. What I now or what's interesting is <laughs> what I mentioned before. There is a concept of prevailing custom. I wrote here that, like, like I said before, all existing properties at some level wear and tear. Therefore, minor defects are expected not be disclosed. Okay, so now as is sales. So there seems to be, and I wrote it up here on top in number three. Let's say you you sign an as is, okay, universal waiver. So Allah doesn't really recognize a, a general, vague universal waiver. Um, some do say. That if again, if the prevailing custom is that this is legally accepted in in this in this place where you're doing the, the sale, so that would be valid. And as is, if you sign an as is, okay. So so that could make a difference. Um, I want to get to um, let's say the let's say the Kia case. I was meaning if Kia would offer their customers now to repair it and to put in some like I don't know enough about cars. Let's say a catalytic converter. I don't know what that is, but well, sounds it. No, I'm saying something that would let's say lower the mileage. So then, you then then the person, the, the buyer, the customer wouldn't be able to nullify the sale. You would have to accept the repair. It's a repairable defect. Yeah, and you so come back to the merchant. Mm -hmm. so that's very important. So then they they have the ability to repair it, and then you have to accept it. For example, if you remember the Toyota recall, that's what I put down here, um, a few years back, when they had the defective brakes. Okay, so Toyota, you brought it back into the shop, and Toyota repaired the brakes. So over there, the sale wouldn't be nullified um, because in that case, they were repairing the defect fee. Okay, compensation doesn't work. They can't just offer you compensation. That you don't have to accept. But if they're offering you to repair the defect, then they're giving you back a, a non-defective product. Okay, they might have to supply you with the car during lots of time. They're, they're repairing it, um, and they have to compensate you if you're going to be missing. Let's say they're taking your car for three weeks. Obviously, that wouldn't be acceptable. Um, if, but, uh, but the point is, so in the Toyota case, Toyota recall case, 
this Mekartos concept wouldn't be applicable to mistaken sale because in that case um, they offered to repair the defect. Okay, so it's your prerogative not to go in. If you don't want to have it repaired, that's your choice. But they're fixing your car and giving you back to the product that they sold you, that they claimed to sell you originally. Okay, so in that case... Putting you back where you started. Exactly. But here, Kia is not doing that. So in the Kia case, uh, technically, again, according to Halacha, you'd have the right to go in and retroactively void the sale. I would make an argument that that they are making you whole. I mean, the basic, you, the problem with the gas mileage is it's going to cost you X amount Not extra in gas only. to the car. What. And they are providing the money that you would be cost, that, that it would cost you extra to drive the car. That's making you whole plus a 15% premium for the uh, inconvenience. For the inconvenience. So uh, I'll, I, I, don't I hear know your that point. That isn't the the same thing as, as making it whole. If you bought it to say to to put yourself at a certain price on gas, uh, so so which again, is the so only advantage of mileage mm -hmm. is to is the amount you're going to spend on gas. No, so that's not true. So that's where you're wrong because many people, eco uh, eco minded people. Want lower gas? They were driving Priuses yeah, not because it's a pretty car. Uh, stuff, but yeah, but a lot of people of day, today, I'm saying, are driving cars because of the lower mileage, not necessarily the price. Because of the environment, the car the ocean. Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. Probably so, you could demonstrate that that was part of who you were. You know, so I'm not sure you have to. I'm saying again, well, if it's a normal society. No, but otherwise, I think he's probably right. No, that's what I'm saying. Because I don't home. know if that's true today anymore. <coughs> Five years ago, maybe you were right. But today, many people are buying cars because they, they're scared I'm of the right carbon footprint. I'm saying you have to walk People who buy Kias are looking for price. People who buy Priuses are looking to save So maybe. So okay, so that's one point, which is debatable. You can do both. It's a debatable point, but the other point is like this, that again, compensation is not sufficient. So for example, just right. give you an example, let me show you. Um, let's say I, I'm a used car dealer, okay, and I realize that the odometer says, uh, says 50,000 miles, but it really was rolled down. You know, I'm a mechanic and I could tell it was rolled back. So I'm not going to deceive the guy. I'm going to sell it as is, but I'm going to lower the price for really, I'm going to sell it as a 100,000 mile car, okay, even though the, the odometer says, says 50. Okay, because I'm, I don't want to deceive the guy. Okay, so in that case, so even though technically I'm giving compensation, I'm lowering the price, it's still null, the sale will be null and void at a later I, I, point. I would argue that the brake defect is even more serious. I might very well not trust the brakes, even though they said they, they had a, a $3 fix for it and they fixed it and made me whole. I'd be pretty much pretty nervous about a car that they had to, to do a little fussing with the brakes. Right, so that's a different question. If they, can they fix it, can they not get it back to its, new, or, to its or, right state? Or get me back to a confidence level. That's, okay, so that's a valid point. I mean, and the resale because value... Because you make the point that, that, the that, that the Kia owner may have wanted to save the world. Uh, I may have wanted to, to feel that I bought the safest car to, to have my kids and grandkids in. But the now I'm not so so sure, sure that I yeah, so that's valid. Decision. You're right. So if there's a if, if you can claim 
that there's a defect in the safety of the vehicle. And in fact, some of those were repaired and still had problems. Okay, so then that's something else. Of course, obviously. But the defect the wasn't law, repaired. You know, the Jewish that's tort law is it's an exception. The Jewish tort it's law not an exception, has always so it's been a an economic, still there. not a... Jew, Jewish tort law, to my knowledge, has always okay. been an economic issue, not a, a an ethical issue. The eye for eye issue. No, hundred percent. But again, so it, but it's an inherent defect. If you're saying it didn't restore your confidence, that could be called maybe a defect in the car. We're saying it doesn't have to be a material defect. I Meaning, if right now I don't feel this Toyota says I bought the Toyota like yours for safety reasons. Now they made this repair, and I don't feel confident. It doesn't have that safety, that same safety classification. That might be a valid defect. You're right, assuming that that's true. May I ask a rhetorical question? You purchase a car. Okay. What is the reasonable amount of time uh, after you purchase the vehicle? And I'm, I'm just posing this rhetorically that the uh, the alternator breaks because there is a rather substantial aftermarket for repairs on cars. At what point after the car is purchased is it deemed not to be a defect at the time of sale? But rather, well, so that's a legal question. And I don't know. I mean, well, it's a mechanical break question. After the warranty runs out. Yeah. You know, I'm a rabbi. We don't know mechanics. Well, I'm just saying. I just don't know. <laughs> I mean, that is a good breaks, question, but it has to be a question that needs to be defined by mechanics. It breaks. I mean, it stuff breaks. Right. Thing stays right. One hundred percent. So that's not a defect. Again, if it's normal wear and tear. Yes, you got it's one day after the warranty. David, what's, what's your what question? if the defect results in something besides feeling? So you say, hey, my car can stop at a dime, and it doesn't stop at a dime, and I kill somebody because you sold me this defect. That was car. really Toyota. We did we dealt with that. So who's CLE. What is liability? Toyota, the question there was liability, meaning if they, if people supposedly died because of the brake defect in Toyota. So that's a, that was the question that we discussed then. I don't remember the answer. <laughs> so I got to look back. Mm. I got to look back at my notes. But it was just, we did a CLE session on, on the product liability, which is a different question. Okay. We're not discussing liability. We're discussing, you know, this question of disclosure and, and okay. stake and sale. So it's a, good, it's a very, very good question. <coughs> I remember, um, I don't think they were liable for, you know, it's meaning for a death at least. Um, if I remember, but I don't want to say for sure. I'll send you, I'll send, okay. I'll send you <laughs> after the class. I'll send, send you my note. Okay, so so now the other question here is, um, what about the time frame? Okay, so let's say I bought the, I bought this item, okay, and and uh, you know let's say Toyota. Ten years later, I find out the brakes are defect, there's a defect in the brakes. Okay, how where is there a time frame for how much I can go back to nullify the sale? You know, and claim I, I didn't realize this defect was here. You know, technically. Yeah, the question. Well, yes. I mean, just technically. We'll get there. What's when, I, when I pose, oh, actually, we're going to talk about oh, yeah, it. Defect. When I yes. pose my other rhetorical question, and yes. well, if it's, it's true, under warranty, it would be it would be repaired. But technically, what you're saying under halakha law yeah. is that the halakha law is the warranty, and, and that if something is defective. You return it. No, but it has to be a defect that was there at the time of sale. Well, it's exactly, not a warranty. Exactly. It's not a warranty that says, listen, if this breaks down in 10 it's years, we're going to difference between wear and tear versus. Yes, of course. An we're not saying you can return something for wear and tear. There had to be a, been a defect in this item at the time of the sale. Okay, if the defect didn't exist at the time of the sale, later on something happened. Okay, it had, I might not have been aware of it, but it was there at the time of sale. Okay, okay going back in time, you, somebody buys a, a wagon with two ox. Let's say a wagon. A week later, the axle breaks. Okay, now under Kalaka law, that would be taken back the wagon. 
Because normally no. axles don't break in a week on a wagon. Again, if there was a proven defect in the axle, then yes. But it had to have been a defect that was there at the time. If it, it, if it wasn't manufactured after properly. After one week, no, axles don't break in a week. Right, so it has to be clear. That then, at the bet den, right, then would have, you to, have to present evidence that we didn't, you didn't do anything weird with the wagon. Right, exactly. It really was. It wasn't used in the unusual wagon. manner. Whereas it was the used guy who regular sold the wagon thing. is going to be saying, well, you loaded 17 oxen on top of this exactly. thing. And, you know, so that's okay, so we're running out of time. I want to get to, first of all, we talk about the time frame. And then Noah and Alan asked a magical question about a wife. We'll get through. That's a real thing, you know? It's true. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so listen, a second. So first time frame. Time frame. So, so as far as time frame, Halacha says there is no time frame, meaning there's no limit. If I find a defect, it can be 10 years after the purchase. Okay, there's, there's a defect that's found, again, that it was existent at the time of the sale, so you have every right to return it. But, of course, you need to notify this, meaning as soon as you're aware of the defect, you need to go back to the seller. If you just drove it around another th for another three months, um, or whatever the item was, you continue to use it, and obviously that, that shows that it's an indication that you accept the item the way it is. Okay, but once you're aware of the defect, you need to go and, and make your claim immediately. Um, if, but if there's no time frame if you weren't aware of the defect. Okay, so even if you weren't, if you weren't aware of the defect, could be uh, you know many years later, it's um, you still have the right to return it. So actually, you know, if you're joking around about a spouse, but the Talmud, believe it or not, does discuss this. It's a serious issue. Um, um, that, that's the same meaning we view, not, 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 to, not, not to degrade marriage or anything, but marriage is a, is a business transaction in a certain sense. Okay, we view it as a legal transaction. Okay, you're requiring each other. It's a contractual obligations that are involved. Okay, so, so this works both ways, male, female, female, male. If there was an inherent, um, I don't want to call it defect, but something that should have been disclosed um, at the time prior to marriage, okay, let's say God forbid the person had cancer, okay, the person knew they couldn't have children, and they didn't disclose that to their spouse at the time of marriage, the Talmud says, same, this same principle, I'll take notes, it's so called a mekarto. It's a mistaken sale. So meaning, meaning I have if something was not disclosed prior to the marriage that again it has to be a serious defect. It's just the person just has athlete's foot. That's not sufficient. So basically it has to be something that's a basically that's what you're saying is marriage is like leasing a car. Grounds for divorce. I'm not yeah, saying don't call me, but it's but no, it's not grounds for no. divorce. You no, don't you need a divorce nullified retroactively. This is this is serious. It's not grounds for divorce, it's nullified retroactively, meaning you don't need a divorce. Marriage, it's like it never occurred. Okay, but wait a second. Wait a second. This is serious stuff. Which court is going to go with the marriage? So, good question. Good question. You could, you could, you could contract that into a prenup to have things. No, this is not contract. You're saying it's automatic. You're saying you don't need. Meaning, if again, something. Let's say, the extreme case. The person was severely ill with cancer. They got. They didn't tell their potential spouse. Okay, they're they they didn't put on J day, whatever it is. They get married. Okay, and then a week later, she says, "By the way, I have, um, uh, you know, I have cancer." Okay, that's grounds, not grounds for divorce. That's grounds that the marriage is a mistaken sale. You don't need a divorce. You wouldn't need to get no, no, uh, no alimony, nothing. It was, it was retroactively nullified. And you pursue this avenue, wouldn't it be quicker? But wait a second. What if there's a what if it's not the cancer? But what if it's something where, and then they they end up having children? Okay, and it had nothing, the defect, if you will, had nothing to do with, you know, whether they could have children or not. And they, they had children. Is it still nullified? Because I thought that there was an issue of not wanting to make children 
No, it's nothing to do with children. I just gave it as an no, example. Give me many examples. This is a real case. But I'm saying, if you nullify a marriage... So I'll get to the real case. And this is it. The Gemara says, it's very clear. The Talmud says, the concept of mekach tot is applied to marriage too. It's a contractual obligation. So if there was no disclosure, obviously it had to be... There's no disclosure. Yeah, it had to be no bad, obviously, in this case. There's no disclosure. But it has to be a serious defect. So, so I'm just going to tell you. So listen, so, so listen to this. So there was a rabbi in New York, um, this is around 15 years ago, I don't know what's going on, but there, there was meaning is there's a problem with Jewish marriage, there's a lot of problems with Jewish marriage, but there's a, <laughs> there's a specific problem with the get, that many, many times since the, the husband is the one that has to grant the get, the Jewish divorce, so many times they'll use it to blackmail, they'll use it in civil court um, to blackmail the spouse. They say, well, I won't grant you, you know, unless you give me the kids or give me the house, right, I'm not going to give you a get. Actually, New York State passed a law. It's called the New York State Get Law. Or maybe we'll do a different CLA session on that, where the, the New York State will not allow, will not grant a civil divorce if one of the parties wants a get. They will not grant a civil divorce until the get is granted because of this problem. Because you had spouses using it to blackmail the other spouse. Uh, actually, husbands using it to blackmail the wife. We're um, relevant to, to settlements. So what this rabbi came up, his solution was, he's, for example, let's say, um, during the divorce, so the problem is this woman is called an aguna. Uh, she's stuck in this limbo state. If she doesn't get a get, halachically she can't remarry. So this rabbi came up with a solution. Was meaning, let's say he was a spouse, he was a abuser, abused, abused spouse. Okay, so he claimed that was a defect. If the psychologist can ascertain that that his tendency to abuse existed at the time of marriage, so that would be enough to nullify the marriage, and she wouldn't need a get. So why aren't, why aren't people okay. doing this? This get thing is a big problem all over the place. Right. Well, well, so this, so this was one solution that came up. Problem is, how are you going to define that? There was a lot of controversy. I think it's easy. So I'm so missing it. Why is it this annulment not so easy happening all because, because this person will claim... I guess people just don't get it. No, no, no. Seems like a hot area of law. I mean, whoever wants to stay in law, it's okay. But also you get into it... Yeah. issues with children, issues with property. Yeah. First of all, it's a slippery slope because right. you so could always find some defect in uh, your exactly. spouse. Exactly, right? that's my point. And so how do you, again, it gets to the gray area of how do you define serious defect and non-serious defect. No What's the material defect in a spouse? How do you work? As a matter of fact, by the way, the, this is going to laugh. This is this, you can't make this stuff up, it's so good. <laughs> the, the Talmud <laughs> says that, um, let's say the woman, he finds out after they get married, she had this big mole on her back. And he can't live. He says he can't. He can't look at her, okay, without clothes on. Okay, so the Talmud says that's that's no good. That's not enough because he, in that case, he should have. It says spoke to the to the to the people at the gym to right. find out if she has any defect. Right. It says right. We spoke about this once before. He should have spoke to the mikvah lady to check her out before to make sure she has no major physical defects. The fact that he didn't. Okay. So it's his problem. So okay. obvious it was like a dent in the car? In yeah, meaning if he was able like to... And by the way, the same applies in, in business law. Meaning if, if there was, let's say, in real estate, where it's the norm to, to go ahead and have... Uh, Due diligence. What's the people who... who inspection. Inspection. Inspect, inspectors yeah. inspect the house. So then that's, that's your obligation, if that's the norm. So when you're checking out a potential spouse, you need to do your due diligence yeah. and speak to the... To the yoga instructor. Okay. Check the Okay, so we're we're You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethics Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j ethics.org. Shalom.